0: This is a bonus episode of the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. Hashem Hashem, God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, with abundant kindness and truth, who saves kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, rebellion, sin, and cleanses. During this lichot that we've been reciting for the past two weeks, we repeat God's 13 attributes of mercy over and over again. Many shuls have the minhag to say them three times when we open the aron before the Torah reading on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And in some synagogues, they're recited every time we open the ark during the 10 days of repentance. Most significantly, the 13 attributes of mercy are the central motif of mariv on the night of Yom Kippur and during the final prayer before Yom Kippur comes to a close, Ne'ilah. Maishul even says them during Shacharit, Musaf, and Mincha on Yom Kippur as well. The reason that we repeat them is well known. Chazal tell us in Masechat Rosh Hashanah, Daf Yud Zayin Amud Bet, page 17b. By Avor Hashem Opanav vaikra, quoting the Pasuk, Hashem passed by Moshe's face and stated, but the Gemara understands it as Hashem put something over his face. Ama Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says, Mikra katuv, Had the Torah not said this, we could never say it ourselves. It teaches. Hashem put on a Talit and wrapped himself like a prayer leader, like a chazan. And showed Moshe the order of the prayer. Amarlo, Hashem said to Moshe, Whenever Israel sins, do before me this order, the thirteen attributes, and I will forgive them. In the slichot, this is called the Brit Shloshesrei, the covenant of the 13. Soon after Rabbi Yochanan's statement in the Gemara, Rabbi Huda says that God made a covenant where he promises that someone who says these 13 attributes will not be sent away empty-handed. But that only begs the question of why. Why does God promise to forgive us just because we recite the 13 attributes of mercy? Is it a kind of magic trick? And if it works like magic, why do we need to say them more than once? I think that the answer is implicit in the words of Rabbi Yochanan. Hashem wrapped himself in a Talit and said, Yasu lefanai ze, literally meaning, do like this before me. In other words, it's not the saying of the words alone, which is the point, but using them as a recipe for how we should interact with other people. We recite the 13 attributes over and over and over so that we inculcate them in our own minds, so that we learn to forgive people who have wronged us just as Hashem forgives us when we do wrong to Him. There's a truism in Jewish thought, expressed by many, including the Chavetz Chaim, that Hashem acts towards us in the same way that we act towards other people. If we are patient with other people, God will be patient with us. If we are forgiving, God will be forgiving to us. If we judge other people with kindness, God will judge us with kindness. I believe that that's the real meaning behind our constant repeating of the 13 attributes of mercy. The goal isn't merely to say them, but to make them part of our thinking so that we start acting like that too. For that reason, the great Kabbalist from Moshe Cordovero, the Ramak, wrote a book called Tomer Devorah, which includes a detailed explanation of each of the 13 attributes of mercy. He also explains how we can adopt each of them in our own lives and make them part of our interactions with other individuals. On today's bonus episode of the Orthodox Conundrum, I'm going to very briefly summarize each of the 13 attributes as explained by Rav Moshe Cordovero. My goal isn't to go into extreme detail. There's much more to say about each of these 13 midot than I'm presenting today, but instead to provide a basic guide that will give, I hope, extra meaning to your slichot and davening on Yom Kippur, and perhaps help all of us to use these midot in our own lives as well. I also strongly encourage you to look at Tomer DeVore yourself, his presentation is compelling and goes into far more detail than I'm going into today. One final point before beginning: the Kabbalists teach that the thirteen attributes of mercy appear twice in Tanakh. First and most famously in Sefer Shmôt, Paraklamidahad Sukim Vav and Zayin, chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. But they also appear in different words in the Navi Micha, Parakzayin Sukim Yuchet, Yutet and Kaf, chapter 7, verses 18, 19, and 20. There it says. Who is a God like you, who forgives iniquity and passes by rebellion to the remnant of his heritage? He does not hold on to his anger forever because he desires kindness. He will again have mercy upon us. He will conquer our iniquities and send their sins to the depths of the sea. Give truth to Yaakov, kindness to Abraham, as you swore to our ancestors in days of old. These verses may be familiar from Slichot as well as from Tashlich. Ramosha Moshe Cordovero in Tomer Dvora explains these 13 as they appear in Micha. As I go through them, I'll mention both the words in Micha as well as the more familiar words from Sefer Shmot. Finally, if you would like a summary of these ideas that you can print and include in your machzor, go to the Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook, where you'll find a two-page printable PDF. The link will be in the show notes for this podcast. My hope and prayer is that we all become forgiving, patient, and kind, and that Hashem treat us with those same midot, so that we are inscribed for a year of blessing, health, growth, goodness, and nachat. The first of the 13 midot is Mi Kelcha Who is a God Like You?, Parallel to, Hashem, Hashem, Kael, Hashem, Hashem, God. According to Sefer Tomer Devora, this refers to the fact that God is constantly creating the world. God didn't create the world and leave it, but it's almost like a television set that's plugged into the wall. Should the plug be removed, the picture disappears. Our world is that picture, and Hashem's influence is the electricity going through the wire. At every single moment, Hashem is constantly recreating the world. As we say every morning, tamid, <speaking in Hebrew> who renews the works of creation constantly every single day. That means that when somebody does something against God's will, at that very moment that he's doing something against God's will, he's also being brought into existence by God. God is allowing him to continue to be, even as that person goes directly against God himself. For that reason, this is a midah of rachamim, that Hashem does not withhold His goodness even as somebody is doing something that violates God's will. So this midah means that God is patient, tolerant, bearing insult, without withholding His goodness from the offender. We too should be willing to overlook slights and continue to help even those who cause us distress. The second midah is Se avon, forgiving iniquity, parallel to rachum, Merciful. According to the Kabbalists, a person who sins creates a type of negative spiritual force. The language is, Someone who does one sin has created an accuser. In our terminology, we might say that he puts negative vibes into the world by doing something that's wrong. As I just said, God is constantly bringing the world into existence. But if this person brings this negative vibe into existence, by all rights, that negative vibe should attach itself to the person who created it. But according to Rav Moshe Cordovero, that negative force is borne by God rather than by the sinner. Those negative vibes that he put into the world, God holds to them so they shouldn't negatively hurt the person who is their creator. In terms of our own application of this idea, we should have even greater patience than that mentioned in the previous midah and accept the person even if the results of his transgressions still remain in effect. The third midah is V'over Opesha, who passes by rebellion parallel to V'chanun, gracious. This means that Hashem cleans the sinner himself without using a messenger. Very famously on Pesach, we say that Hashem killed the firstborn in Egypt without a messenger. I did it, Hashem says, myself, and I saved Israel also without a messenger. In the same way, says Reb Moshe when Hashem forgives somebody, Hashem does it directly. It's a direct revelation of sorts of God. In our own lives, we can implement this by not saying, why should I fix somebody's problems if he brought it on himself? Rather, we should try to fix things on somebody else's behalf. Additionally, this also means that a person should be embarrassed to sin again, knowing that the king himself is the one washing him off. The fourth midah is, nachalato, to the remnant of his heritage, parallel to erech, slow as in slow to anger. This means that God acts with compassion as a member of a family acts with compassion towards his relative. This is because the words in Michal, which means to the remnant of his heritage, that word sheirit also can be understood as family. She'er means family. Hashem looks at us not just as people to whom he's connected, but actually as family members, as his children. Hashem acts with compassion because we're his children, not his employees. The way that we can implement this in our own lives is remembering that every Jew has a part of every other Jew within him. We are all family. Accordingly, we have to act towards every other Jew with the compassion and respect we would give to our family and to ourselves. The fifth Mida is lo hechzik la'ad apoh. he will not hold on to his anger forever. This is parallel to apaim, anger as in slow to anger. This means that God lets his anger grow weaker over time even when the sinner continues in his sinful ways. Hashem acts towards us with anger or compassion, depending on what is best for us. Yes, we say that Hashem does show anger towards us, but that's always for ourselves, for what's best for us. Hashem acts towards us with anger or compassion, depending on what is best for us. The way that we are supposed to implement this is that even when we have the right to be angry or to chastise, we can't chastise more than is necessary to make the point and we have to abandon our anger afterwards. Just as God allows his anger to, so to speak, grow weaker, we have to try to let our anger go too. And if using a more compassionate tactic will work equally well, we certainly should do so instead of acting with anger. The sixth midah is, Ki chesedhu, for he desires kindness, which is parallel to virav chesed, an abundant kindness. According to the Kabbalists, there is a heavenly chamber in which our acts of kindness are stored. And when we're in need of mercy... God looks at this chamber, at these acts of kindness, and thereby forgives Israel even when we don't deserve it. What this means is that our good deeds continue to exist in perpetuity. Something good that was done doesn't just go away. Its impact on the universe remains forever. In the same way, we should always look for a redeeming quality in those who are otherwise mistreating us, and allow this realization to lessen our anger. We can't ignore an offender's good qualities. When somebody upsets us, let's look at the good things he does instead of pretending they don't exist. The seventh midah is Yashuv Yirachamenu. He will again be compassionate to us. This is parallel to Ve'emet, and truth. This means that God is closer to an individual after he repents than he was before the sin had taken place. A very well-known truism that's mentioned in the Gemara is that the place where Balei Tshuva stand, even the perfectly righteous can't stand. This means that when a person has sinned but returns from that sin... With honesty and a genuine sense of regret, Hashem is closer to him than he was even before it happened in the first place. The way that we implement this in our lives is that if somebody genuinely wants to make amends, we should attempt to renew our friendship in its entirety and be even closer to this person than we were before the friendship was severed. The eighth midah is, Yichbosh avonotenu, He will conquer our iniquities. This is parallel to, Notzer Chesed, Keeping Kindness. This is a fascinating midah because at first glance, it seems to be something which we wouldn't want. It means that Hashem does not allow us to exchange our good deeds to pay for our bad deeds. Meaning, let's say, for example, somebody has a certain number of good deeds and he also has some sins. And he says, Hashem, I'll make a deal with you. Let's trade this good deed I did in exchange for the sin that I did and we'll call it even. Hashem does not allow that to happen. Hashem says instead, your good deeds remain intact and you must deal with your transgressions separately. The reason that this is a wonderful midah of mercy rather than of justice is because God has created a system where the reward for good deeds is infinitely greater than the punishment for transgressions. If God were to allow us to exchange good deeds for bad deeds, it would always by definition be a grossly unfair trade that we would ultimately regret. We're better off dealing with our transgressions in a certain way without losing the reward that comes from our mitzvot. The way that we implement this in our lives is that we should recall the good that someone has done for us and try to put aside the person's negative actions. We shouldn't discount the good that someone has done for us just because the person also did something that we don't approve of. In other words, we should look at the world understanding that it often comes in shades of gray rather than seeing everything as just black or white, good and evil. Very often, almost always, things are complicated. When someone does something that we don't approve of, we have to understand that it's not done in a vacuum. There's all sorts of other factors we have to take into account. And by doing that, we are being like God, judging someone favorably. The ninth midah is, He will send their sins into the depths of the sea. This is parallel to la to thousands. This means that God not only saves Israel when we repent, but he also punishes those who try to destroy Israel. Clearly, this is a reference to Paro and his army who chased Israel as they left Egypt. While Moshe and Israel crossed the sea on dry land, when Paro and his army went through as well, Hashem drowned them there. So these words say that Hashem will send our sins to the bottom of the sea in the same way that Paro was sent into the bottom of the sea and, says the Ramak, so will happen to all of the enemies of Israel. The way that we can implement this is that when we see somebody who suffers as a consequence of his own behavior, we should take care of him and try to save him from those who are persecuting him, rather than saying something like, he brought it upon himself. The 10th midah is titan emet Yaakov. He gives truth to Jacob. This is parallel to Se avon. He forgives iniquity. The name Yaakov represents those Jews who act in accordance with the Torah, but don't go beyond the simple requirements of the Torah, what we might call In halachic parlance, a benoni, a regular Jew. God treats these individuals with compassionate justice, always acting towards them fairly and faithfully. In the same way, we have to act fairly and faithfully, never perverting justice and having truthful compassion to everybody. The eleventh midah is chesed l'avraham, kindness to Abraham. This is parallel to vafesha, and rebellion. The name Avraham refers to those who do more than the letter of the law requires, what we might call the tzedikim, the righteous. For these individuals, God goes beyond what the letter of the law requires and acts with additional kindness. In the same way, when we implement this in our lives, we have to treat all people justly and fairly and act towards really good people, the righteous, with an additional degree of kindness and compassion. If, for example, we're patient with everybody, we should demonstrate even additional patience with the righteous. The 12th midah is asher nishpata lavotenu, as he swore to our ancestors. This is parallel to v'chata'ah, and sin. Unlike those individuals referred to by the names Yaakov, the regular Jews, and Avraham, the righteous Jews, this refers to people who are not acting properly, what we might call Rishaim. God, nevertheless, acts towards these individuals with compassion, for he recognizes the greatness of their ancestors, the z'chut avot, the merit of their forefathers. That's why this is called asher nishpata Tenu, as you swore to our ancestors. In the same way, we must not act with cruelty towards wicked people. We have to recognize that even they, just like us, are children of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Sarah Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. And finally, the 13th midah is Mime kedem, from days of old. This is parallel to v'nakei, and it cleanses. This is the greatest midah of them all. It applies to every single person. Even when the merit of our forefathers is not sufficient, God remembers our childhood, the days long ago when we did deserve his mercy. He remembers his love from that time and forgives us despite our current actions. As we quote the Pasuk on Rosh Hashanah, I recall for you the kindness of your youth, the love of your bridal days, when you followed me in the desert, in an unsown land. Hashem remembers what we were like before we ever did anything wrong. Hashem recalls what we were like before all of the filth of sin and iniquity accrued on top of us. And he realizes that that person underneath that filth is still there. This midah always ultimately works because every single person at some point was innocent. In the same way, when implementing this in our own lives, Even when the 12 reasons above for compassion don't apply, we have to recognize that there was a time when every person, every individual was blameless, when every individual was innocent. The recollection that deep within every sinful adult hides the innocent child that he once was should inspire us to treat everyone with love and compassion. I'll conclude by repeating what I said before. I strongly suggest that everybody look at the Tomer DeVore yourself, where these ideas are presented in much greater detail than I offered now. And I also hope that all of us are inscribed for a wonderful year and wish everybody Gamar Hatimatova. Subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please visit JewishCoffeehouse.com for other episodes of The Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Mamonides Minute, Chokhmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences. Please like The Orthodox Conundrum Podcast on Facebook and join our growing Facebook group, The Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group, where you can feel free to discuss issues in Orthodoxy in an honest and friendly environment. I hope you'll become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more you'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers, and you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. Just join Patreon. It's only a couple of dollars a month, and you can stop anytime, time, so join today. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffeehouse can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. on JewishCoffeeHouse.com.